Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. And we're going to be joined by one of Perpignan's leading men, Tristan Tedder, after they beat Toulouse to ensure they avoided bottom spot in the top 14 last weekend. He's off to Racing next season as well, and has been here, there and everywhere after moving to France from South Africa as a youngster. And he's a former teammate of yours as well, Johnny. So we should have plenty of stuff to talk to us about. How's your week been? First though, Johnny, good? Yeah, very good. Uh, and looking forward to chatting to Tristan in a minute, because he's a great... A great young lad, and he's been awesome for propping you on this season. Uh, but no, mate, better. I feel like I was a bit of a sapper last week. I apologize, <laughs> uh, but a was completely wrong. I think so. We're fine, a pair of absolute <laughs> middle aged old money men. I was wrecked last week and ill, but no, this week, mate, good. The sun is shining in the south of France. It's nearly playoff time, heading to Dublin this weekend as well for the Challenge Cup final, Toulon against Glasgow. So looking forward to that. No, everything is good in the world, apart from the 1am and the 4am and the 5.30am wake-up calls this morning. That's still happening, is it? Of course it is. Never-ending story. Yeah, somewhere between 2 and 4am wake-up calls every day. Dummy in, dummy out. Lovely stuff. We'll miss them when they're 25. That's all we'll say. Yeah, we said we weren't going to do this, Johnny. We said we weren't going to sap. So let's move on. <laughs> Should we chat a little bit about the top 14 before we get our guest on? Yes. It was a big weekend, wasn't it? We kind of laid the groundwork last week for sort of how it might pan out. A few changes to what we predicted, but it has become a lot clearer. Stade Francais is still third after we had Paolo on last week, but they blew a 28 0 half time lead, didn't they, to draw 31 all at home to Leon? And you know what? That was all on the backdrop of something that didn't happen. Well, it happened after we recorded last weekend, but Leon had a massive mutiny in the camp as well. So all the senior players went to see President Jan Rubert, said they wanted Xavier Garbajosa removed. Um, so like shit had hit the fan there. 28 nil down at halftime, Stade Francais leading. You're thinking this is done. Like, game one-way traffic. Leon were embarrassing first half. Sopawanga comes off the bench. Tuasova comes off the bench. They get a rocket from themselves not from their coaching side, because you could see the dejection on Xavier Garbajosa on the touchline, but they came out 31-all at the end of the game. So absolute bedlam. And you said it becomes clear. It doesn't, it doesn't. In the <laughs> Stade Francais were home and dry. That was them home quarter final. But now it all still comes down to the last weekend. We don't know who's going to receive and host the home quarters. There's still a fair amount of different permeations that can take place. So it's cool though. I mean, it was absolute carnage at the weekend, but the fact that it all comes down to the last weekend, nobody's safe really at either end of the table makes it pretty cool and exciting. Yeah, I think the clarity comes from the draw for Leon, big wins for Bordeaux against Poe and wrestling over Toulon, I guess means that top six, it's hard to see Bayern or Toulon still have a very outside chance getting in. Yeah, but crazier things have happened. That's the thing now. It's yeah. it, it sh it's straight shootout, right? So every game in this last round is essentially a final for every single one of these sides who want to end their legacy the way they want it left. So 
Bayern are going to go to Leon and fire some shots. And Leon were not comfortable at all in that first period against that Francais. So the, I still think there's loads that can happen. Toulon is a very different, they have to get five points from that game against Bordeaux. They rested their entire team. They played their Gif squad at the weekend and lost fairly heavily up in Racing. But that's because they've got a Challenge Cup final this weekend. You take from that what you will. And the last game at home for them, Felix Mayol, they have to take five points, but it's against Bordeaux. You're a big team coming to town. So it just makes it exciting. It makes the last weekend of rugby where previously there have been some dead rubbers and results have gone against teams because there's nothing to play for. Whereas now, really still... Apart from Breve, everybody has got something on the line in two weekends' time in the last weekend of top four, top 14 um, regular phase play. Yeah, for Toulon, the outside shot is Bayern beating Leon, denying Leon any points, not getting a bonus point themselves. They'd all finish level on 62 points if Toulon were to win with a five-point win and then Toulon would qualify. Not expecting it to happen, but like you say, stranger things have happened. That's it. So stranger things have happened. If Bayon beat Leon and take four points, they go to 62 points. Toulon as well, if they were to win with five points and smash Bordeaux, everyone ends up on 62. And in those head-to-heads, Toulon have the favourable scenario and they would go through. It's unlikely, but it might happen. And you mentioned brief before, we thought they might do it at home to cast, but they let a lead slip in the second half. And that combined with Perpignan's win over Toulouse means they're down. That's them, relegated. And and you know what's infuriating is watching their game. There's so many good parts to it and they have physicality, they have heart, they have desire. Nico Sanchez runs a backline. Ross Moriarty, new to the team, carried really well. Marcel van der Merw, they've got a scrum that stands up and is dominant, but there's just too many fundamentals of how they play as a team that just don't stand up. And they had opportunities to win that game comfortably I think they lost something like four lineouts on opposition five meter line with no contest they just lost the ball so they had the chance they refused to take three points and build their way into the game they went for points and they absolutely screwed it so really disappointing again you can see how much that town loves its side in the a packed house there to support messages everywhere banners it doesn't matter what happens we're here we're behind you they do go down to Pro do they've been there before they'll rebuild they've signed some really really decent players through 2025. So it's a different cycle for them, but they'll have to come back and be better if they're going to stay in the top 14 and consistently stay there because there were too many fundamentals of the game that sadly just fell apart. Right. We should find out what your meter moment of the week is before we move on, Johnny. Well, it's not because he's our guest, (laughs) but it kind of is. Tristan was phenomenal at the weekend. Part of a side that again has taken us the whole way the last round in the top 14, but to lose came, I thought Toulouse would win in Perpignan. But again, watching the game, you see the fanfare, you see the Catalan people get behind their team, the colours, the passion. What a day of rugby. And they blitzed Toulouse off the field. Um, It was incredible. Tristan was knocking the ball. I think he was something like six from seven. And again, it's a really windy pitch. It's hard to kick from there. He was knocking the ball from the halfway line, but Perpignan, as a side, avoiding taking it down to the last weekend where they can still finish ahead of Poe and avoid the relegation game. But if you go back and look at the video, the last game for coach Arletas, Tristan Terra moving on, Pula Fasalele, a whole host of players moving on in the year. It was an amazing spectacle. So the meter moment of this week is Perpignan smashing Toulouse and taking their top 14 battle all the way to the last weekend. 
We're now to get a guest on side, don't we, Johnny? He's not going to hear that. He's got no idea. <laughs> that was Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with a game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full-price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout, that's FrenchPod10, and you get 10% off any full-price item at meter.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's get our guest on now then, and we can have a chat with a man who's gone from South Africa to Toulouse, stopped off at the likes of Bayonne, Bézier, is off to Paris with Racing next season, but has played a huge role for Perpignan recently. Tristan Tedder joins us. How you doing? Yeah, all good, all good. Obviously, super stoked with this last weekend's result. We will chat about your career life in France generally in a minute, but you mentioned the weekend. How good a win was that? Against the strong side, Toulouse rested a few, but they were pretty strong still. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did rest a few players. I know some of some some of their players are still injured as well. Um, but Toulouse never travel just to participate in the game of rugby. They're always looking to win. Uh, they still had a very strong team, good enough to definitely win on the day. We're super stoked with with that win. Super stoked, mate! And you could see the emotion pouring out of everyone because you know that directly being relegated is finished. So how was the celebration? Like you could see how much it meant to everyone, but. How big was Saturday, Sunday? You mentioned as well, no game this weekend. So I'd imagine you partied pretty hard <laughs> celebrating that win at the weekend. Yeah, so we'll get we'll get to the party then. But definitely straight <laughs> off the game. Even, uh, I didn't, no tears were shed from me, but I did see a few boys shedding a few tears straight off the game before they even got to the change room. Um, as you said, just about being relegated directly. It is a bit, it's harsh, but at least now that we have a chance to if if we go to the access game, um, promotion relegation, we have a chance. It's it's in our hands to sort of take control and we'll see on the day what happens. But definitely beating to lose, knowing that we're staying up now, or staying up, um, potentially have a chance of staying up. It was a big, big game. Last game of the season at home as well, with lots of players leaving, especially the coach, Patrick. Um, big, big end to the career for him. But yeah, definitely emotional. But Saturday night, the celebrations went late on into the evening as well. Only got back home at about seven in the morning. So nice. It was a long weekend. It was a very long weekend, but it was good. I mean, tell us a little bit more about coach. So Patrick Arletaz, who reportedly, you know, Perpignan wanted remove, to remove from post in December because things weren't going too well. But the playing group went to the president and said, no, look, we want to stick with him. He's a good coach and a good man. You saw what it meant to him as well. Seven years as coach, but a little word 
on him. He brought you to the club. The players kept him on. Hugely important, I'd imagine. Yeah, so brief little history between Patrick and myself was that actually before I went to Bayonne, when I joined you, Johnny, um, Patrick got in contact with me saying, look, we know that Toulouse want to loan you out. Come to Perpignan. Toulouse actually said no, so I'd never choice in that and end up going to Bayonne. So already I had contact with him then. Just the way my career went, I re-signed to go to Bayonne. Bayonne went down to 32. There's a clause in my contract and Patrick straight away phoned me and said, look, this time you are coming. We want you here, etc. So he brought me in. He gave me a lot of trust, a lot of confidence as well. So I was only with him for two years, but I've seen the impact that he's had on a lot of the players here for seven years at the club. Great rugby coach, very clever, intelligent, but also a great human being outside of, of rugby. Um, he's able to separate the sport and pleasure side of, of, of our job, we'll say, and throws a few jokes in there every now and then, can be a bit serious, but just in general, a good human being. And then for him to leave on a, a game, a win against Toulouse, it's, it's just insane. And I think just the way he spoke throughout the whole week and led us into the game. But then also obviously he had that tough downfall in the middle of the season. And it was quite easy, actually. We got a message from our captain and said, look, guys, we're coming in on Monday. The coaches aren't going to be here. Uh, just us as players, we need to talk about something. And he said, look, the president wants to get rid of Patrick and a few of the coaches as well. It wasn't just Patrick. And then one of the players actually just interrupted our captain, Matthew. And he just said, look, I don't care what you guys are saying. We started this adventure together. We'll end it together and we'll assume the consequences after that. So the meeting literally only lasted three minutes and then that was it. It was decided. So we stuck, stuck to our guns and yeah, and I think it's pulled off to our advantage for Patrick as well for us as a team. And then season's not over yet, so hopefully it can it can finish on good terms. Johnny, that sounds crazy how that turns out, a players meeting and that kind of evolving, but it's not as uncommon as you think in France, is it? It's certainly a little bit more volatile, but the stories that you tend to hear are more of players going and get coaches removed. That That's, again, Tristan, not sure if you saw that coming out of Lyon last week, the players actually went and said, look, we want to get rid of Xavier Garbajosa, we've had enough. Yeah. Um, and then they had the game that they had at the weekend, which was absolutely incredible. When you saw the comeback they had um, in Paris, I don't, know, I don't know if you guys saw at half time what happened though. So the, obviously, the cameras are inside the change room. The Leon players did all the talking, and the yep. coach didn't say a word. So I don't know if you guys saw it, but yeah, I thought that was quite insane as well. It, again, you just don't see it anywhere else. So then you saw the dejection of Xavier Garbajosa. Clearly, lost the jet dressing room, but then the fact that they can come out, motivate themselves. I mean, it must be utter rejection for him. I don't know where his head is now because they still have a chance to qualify going into last weekend, but that's more the side that you see. Things don't go well or people start to speak badly between each other and then things go sour. But what's more impressive is when a group gets behind a coach, when they're actually impressed with a coach that they love. Um, and they've seen like for Patrick, he grew up in Perpignan. You hear him talk about him learning to walk at yeah. the stadium with his grandpa by like age three, his first game of rugby. You saw the passion he has for the club, but clearly the passion he has for the game. And when somebody is that way and they're a good bloke as well, you don't want to bin them. You don't want to get rid of them. You want to stick together. You want to stick to your guns and you want to go through that adventure as a team to the end. So it's incredible that they stuck up for him, that they've stuck together, that they said to the president, no, this isn't what we want to happen. We want to stick out to the end. And you see the result. That's the beauty of taking people on like a humanistic, strategic ad adventure together, if you will, and it paying off. You saw the joy and the tears um, at the weekend. So very, very cool to see. Yeah, I think it also just comes down to just trust and having the confidence in other people to 
to make a decision for you because at the end of the day, it, it, it sort of came down to us, as, as you're saying, Johnny, how the Leon player said, we don't want you, get out of here. So that's Leon deciding. But for us, it was us as the players and one guy stood up in the meeting and said, basically, you guys are idiots if you want to get rid of him and we're going to keep him and this is it. And that was it. And I think very emotional French people, uh, we all know that, but sometimes, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And I think for us, it worked out this time. So happy with that. And who was it, mate, that stood up in the meeting? So you got Mathieu Asabes as your captain. Was it Mathieu that suggested it? Or was it who was it in the room that stood up and said, look, let's do this? So literally, I, I kid you not, it was no longer than three minutes, as I said. We walked in, sat down, Mathieu explained the situation. And it was actually Tom Echoshard, the scrum off, interrupted Mathieu. He stood up, like in his seat, whatever, and everyone just sort of turned around and had a look at him and laid down the law. And he didn't walk out, but he started walking out and everyone was like, okay, that's it. And then we just got on with our lives. So it wasn't like a I am Spartacus moment. He spoke and then everyone was like, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> a bunch of sheep, we're just following. Yeah. <laughs> and when you point everything now towards the last weekend of rugby, you go two cast. You've got nothing to play for and don't look settled either. You're four points behind Poe. There's still a posse. You could leap, leapfrog them. But how would you feel about winning that last game, potentially avoiding relegation game, and then also the prospect of the relegation game. You've been part of those before. Like, what are your thoughts approaching that, that type of game? So that exact example that you just described, we went through it last year. We had to beat Bordeaux at home on the last day. And Bordeaux threw out their strongest team because they were playing for a direct semi-final spot as well. We won, super stoked with that. And then Sort of like 65 minutes into the game, all of a sudden, the whole bench came on and like all the starting players got taken off. And we, also, we looked at each other like, but the game's not over yet. And then we realized that Breve were smashing Stadford say away as well. So it's a tough one. But if I look back to last, last year's game, we just looked at each other in the eyes and just said, look, guys, one more week, we can do this. If we beat Bordeaux with their star-studded international team, surely we can do it and sort of it's just a belief thing so either way i think whatever team they send to cast we have to go to win we still have to play the relegation game we have to if we win and we don't have to play the relegation game well kudos to us and mate as somebody that has played in that playoff game before you played against monomarsan last season can you describe how unique an occasion it is because it's not something that happens in other leagues and you're playing away from home against a big pro de deux passionate crowd what is that game like to go through Oof, it was it's not a, it's not a nice game to play i must admit for both teams for the team top 14 and also for the pro de two team because the previous week they've just lost the final and if we look at montemarsan they finished first on the log last season they smashed everyone broke records lost the final so they obviously gutted and then now they come up against the top 14 team that's playing for their lives as well and want to stay up in top 14 very unique very tough Obviously, two different types of game styles because, Johnny, you, you all know playing Pro 2 and Top 14, it's not the same the same rugby. Uh -oh. <laughs> it's definitely not the same rugby. <laughs> and I think first half, because I remember we went into halftime, or 16 all. And first half, we definitely, we were scared. We, we were playing not to lose, but we weren't playing to win. And I remember, actually, the players sort of took over um, it was actually our number 12, Jero de la Fuente, our Argentinian player. He asked the coaches, just, can you guys just leave? Leave it to us. And he sort of just spoke very calmly as 
all Argentinian guys are cool, calm, and collected. And he just said, look, guys, it's 16 all, 40 minutes left of the season. Just keep the ball. No more kicking. And that was it. And everyone was like, okay, well, let's just play rugby. And for the whole of the second half, we just ran from everywhere. Look, every rugby game is different. You can't just keep running from everywhere. But that just worked for us. Yeah, it helped us. We weren't scared anymore. And we backed each other, backed, backed our abilities in order to just play rugby. And uh, it ended up working quite well. And we managed to win. Very stressful, very emotional. Lots of tears after the game, myself included. But yeah, so hopefully we can do it again this season. Well, hopefully you don't have to play in that game even. We'll find out the weekend <laughs> after this one. You mentioned that you rolled in at 7am after Saturday's game. Obviously, that's brilliant to to celebrate the fact that you're not finishing bomb. But it's again, that's a unique kind of situation because every year it doesn't work out like this. But you've got the European finals this weekend. So it's kind of nice, isn't it? That you secure your fate to a certain extent, have to wait to play a game the weekend after. But you've got a bit of a break so you can let your guard down just for that night and kind of celebrate. Yeah. No, I definitely wasn't the only one. So um... <laughs> <laughs> You went on your own till 7am. That's good yeah, to know. No, I wasn't the only one. So that that's all good. But um, no, so I went out with the boys. I actually went to dinner first. And the guy's like, yo, just like take it easy, whatever. It's it's ne- it's ne- it's never one drink, we'll say. Next minute. Next minute, getting home at seven in the morning. And yeah, the guy's just let loose and super stoked. Obviously, just beating Toulouse and then hearing about that we beat Breve. Oh, we didn't beat Breve, but Breve lost. And just sort of like the, the cherry on, on top. And obviously, now we know that worst case scenario, we play the promotion relegation game. Uh, we've got two weeks to prepare. We're actually going to camp uh, tomorrow. And then... Yeah, sort of start preparing for cast as well as potentially the last game of the season. So yeah, your uh, Breves game against cast kicked off sort of as your game was finishing. So you didn't watch it all together. You were just having dinner and you kind of, how did you find out? By the time we left the chain or anything, first half was already over. But by the time we got to the restaurant, it was about 10 minutes left and we ordered the first round of drinks and starters, whatever. And then that uh, route, and one of the boys actually sent a message in the group and said, Breve lost. And so we're all like, Okay, and then sort of the night, uh, uh, I'd say the night sort of kicked off from then. I was like, okay, well, that's it. And then the boys started going going quite hard. Hey, Amen. It was, it was so good. It was so good. Let's chat about your career now then. You were a youngster at the Sharks in Durban, and then you move over on an Espoir contract when you were about 20 to Toulouse. So yeah. how did that all kind of pan out? Weird story, actually. I went to Australia, first yard of school. I was at the Sharks, but season was over. I went to go visit one of my best friends in Australia. I went to training uh, with the Queensland Reds under 20 setup. Met a few guys, whatever was cool, just, just to train a bit of rugby because I was missing a bit of preseason back home uh, in Durban. Got a phone call from one of the coaches at the Reds, and he had spoken to some guy in France. So I don't know how it happened, but it just did. And then I got a phone call from my agent the very next day, but I was still in Australia and said, look, did you go to training with like the Reds or whatever? I was like, yeah, how do you know? Like, no, world, like word travels fast. I was like, okay, cool. Like, what's up? He's like, no, there's a potential opportunity for you in France. Um, when you get back to South Africa, we'll talk about it. So spend my holiday in Australia, whatever. Got back to South Africa, pre-season. Um, started playing rugby matches again uh, with the Curry Cup qualifiers team. Basically, there's a, a Super Rugby B team at the time. And funny enough, one of the stud to lose in rec- uh, recruitment guys 
Hearts was at one of our games against Sharks versus Western Province. And I just so happened to have a pretty decent game, we'll say. And after the game, he came up to me and said, look, I've already contacted your agent a few months ago. Um, you guys have spoken about it, but we're still interested in you. What do you think? I was a bit nervous because obviously 19 years old, going to a foreign country, you don't speak the language. At the time, I had a girlfriend in South Africa. Obviously, that was probably playing on my mind a bit. And then eventually I spoke to my family, loved ones, whatever, and just said, look, what do I do? And my dad played rugby when he was younger as well. And he said he never had the chance to travel the world, whatever. Rugby wasn't professional at the time. So he said, just go for it. Like, I'll miss you a lot, but go for it. You've got to travel the world, new experiences, new people, new culture. And so literally I phoned my agent the next day. I said, look, is the opportunity still on the table? And he said, yeah. And within the next two months, I was on a plane arrived in, in Toulouse. The guy forgot to pick me up at the airport, so I waited at the airport for four, four hours. Um, <laughs> so French. I promise you, I was like, I didn't know, I, my phone didn't work. Uh, my charge, South African phone charge is not the same as what you get in Europe. So phone died, uh, waiting for this guy to come pick me up, waited for four hours, got to my apartment. I thought it was furnished, nothing. So no bed, nothing. I was like, where's the furniture? It's like, this is your apartment where's the furniture no no you told me non-furnished oh my goodness so the first night just yeah absolute shit show we'll say and yeah i ended up uh, sleeping on the floor for the first night the next day went to buy a bed and everything and and yeah that that was my my first day in france and that's how i arrived i did not know that that's incredible yeah and i the thing is i wasn't alone i had an irish roommate um he was also it was his first day as well so two-bedroom apartment he came over more for studying. He got in contact. He used to play with Leinster junior team. Uh, he was the Irish under 18 captain, whatever, Connor Farrell, actually. But a few injuries got in the way, so he had to stop rugby. And now he's work, working class man. Um, yeah, so he came over for studies. And then he got in contact with Toulouse, said, look, can I come play while I'm here? And they're like, sure thing. There's a South African, South African guy coming over. We'll put you in contact with him. Met up with him, so... It was it was great conversations, but like great memories as well. And looking back now, I laugh at it. But like at the time, I phoned my mom when I got when I got to McDonald's because the only place I could get Wi-Fi. <laughs> sat, at, sat at McDonald's for about three hours as well. I said, "Mom, this is shit. I want to come home. Um, there's no bed. Like, what the hell is this?" That's it. Must have been a massive culture shock to take that leap having those conversations with your dad, with Bruce, and then the family, and leaving age nineteen, getting there sharing a floor with an Irish bloke on your first night in France, you must have thought, what have I signed up for? No, but I, you set, you settled in, like once the rugby kicked in, like tell us about the first few months of initiations. I'm oh, assuming head, head shaving. I'm assuming loads shaving of different things. Twice, twice in twice. the same year. <laughs> but, no, yeah, so it was good. And in fairness, the, the Toulouse senior team ended quite late this season. So I got there 1st of July, as I said. And then I sort of got straight into training with the Espoir team. Uh, Connor was with me as well, and we were walking training and starting to get to know everyone, and even the junior players and eating lunch. And really, we really put ourselves out there. Whenever they went to the restaurant, we sort of invited ourselves, um, but just to show that we were interested and wanted to learn and learn the language, etc. Then she went on camp with the with the senior team, they got back from holidays and went straight to camp because the season starts within like the next three weeks. Uh, ended up actually starting in the first warm-up game, I was, which I was quite surprised. After the warm-up game, got my head shaven. 
I was not expecting that, but it was the first senior game I was with the team, got my head shaven, uh, hair grew back. And then because I started playing with the Espoirs, but my head was already shaven, so they had to wait for it to grow back. And then eventually after one of the games, all right, time to shave your head again. It's like, no, like I've already done it. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, I pretty much just played with the Espoirs the first season uh, because I was told I needed to learn the language, et cetera, learn the system of like how to lose play. And and actually, a lot of the guys who are playing now on the senior team, we all played together, the Espoir team. Who was part of your Espoir team when you arrived? Age 19, you were coming into a team that now, I'm guessing, forms the bulk of the first team at Toulouse. Who was part of your youth team? So we had Rodrigue Netti, Prop, Piat Novaka, Paolo Tafili, who played with Toulouse in the team, now he's at Lyon. Um, we had Florian Verag, who's back uh, second row with Montpellier. Yep. Tolofua. There was Jared Poy as well, who played quite a few games with Toulouse, then went on to Biarritz and Bezier. Yes, Luke McAllister's cousin. Yeah, there he's we go. Great exactly. player. Uh, there was Matisse Lebel, who plays wing every every game now. Luca Torzen, who's just come back from injury. Um, Roman Intermac was 18 at the time, 17 at the time, turning 18. Um, he sort of got pushed through the ranks and joined us halfway through the season as well because they wanted him to play with the under-20s. So literally the star-studded Esquire team and now all these guys are playing professional week in, week out. Um, looking back at it, it was quite an experience, but so cool and really, really got to know the guys quite well. Obviously, 20 years old and in a new country, learning a new language and lots of shits and giggles, laughs and taking like life on easy mode, we'll say. Just no pressure, no no family, no kids and just enjoying it. And a certain Antoine Dupont, I think, joined the club maybe a year or so after you. Did he come with the S-Bars as well? Did you play with him? <laughs> no, he did not play with the S-Bars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I arrived 2016-2017, he arrived 2017-2018 with Toulouse. I actually played against him in my first season. I was on the bench, came on after 20 minutes, and the score was already 20-0 to cast. The final score was like 50 points to 10. So great first experience with the senior team. <laughs> um, Anton played in that game, and then yeah, the next season he came through, obviously he went straight with the senior team. Um, I didn't play a game in my second season. I was injured throughout the whole season. Um, three big injuries, um, which sort of just stopped me from playing. But anyway, and then after that season, that's where I joined Johnny and Bayon because Toulouse wanted to keep me, but because of the injuries, they said, look, we're not going to keep you here. We'll loan you out. Went to Bayon, and then I met a very angry Johnny BT. Hey, <laughs> b- b- before we get into the shit slinging, let's, <laughs> let's go back a bit. I wanted to ask you about the difference in styles. So arriving into like, we joke about, you know, the flat and not going well and sleeping on the floor, but the club, like arriving with the installations, the infrastructure coming from South Africa. And obviously we'll get into like Bayonne and Perpignan. Very different clubs at very different stages as well. So what was it like, again, coming from South Africa, arriving in Toulouse and that level of, you get into Toulouse and most people are like, wow, this is amazing. So what was it like for you getting there and being part of the club? Uh, When I first got you I found the guys quite relaxed in terms of just lifestyle and getting to rugby, arriving and within five minutes of training starting and coming from South Africa where everything's a bit more structured and you know, more strict, I'll say. Guys are in 30, 40 minutes before warming up, making sure strapping's done and these guys are rocking up. Some guys who don't play, who don't play rugby anymore, just rocking up, smoking a cigarette before practice. You're like, oh, geez, what the hell's going on here? 
but it was really cool, different experience, which I'd say has definitely influenced the way I am now, um, where I try and be relaxed. And I've sort of figured out the more relaxed I am before a game, the better, the better it is. But I do still have the strictness and rigor of a South African player who knows what he needs to do and his job and everything. I won't forget that because it was drilled into me from when I was seven years old. So that's all right. But just in terms of like the setup, the installations and everything's just world class, even for the junior team. So as I said, the first season I was with the Espoirs a lot. So they have got their own gym, own little indoor half field setup. So if it's raining, cold weather outside, you can still train with a dry ball and really everything is just world class. And then when you get pulled up into the senior team, it's just a step up. And then the variation in different places you've been, you arrive at Bayonne where we first met and like it was a total different picture right in terms of like the facilities and what you have at your disposition still a massive club with a big support base but at that time for us the sort of infrastructure of the club were really different yeah they they definitely from what they are now i don't know if you've seen them now they're incredible now it's it's definitely not the same you i I don't want to say but sort of like you're comparing a first world country to a third world country when when we were there and all those the stadium was the stadium was old but such still such a cool stadium with that athletic track around the stadium the change rooms were change rooms were fine change were fine just in terms of the gym area and and the field and the mud and arts oh, yeah good memories funny memories but like just in terms of if you're comparing to like Toulouse at the time where I was and then you're going to Bayonne very very different and you sort of have to humble yourself quite quickly and and re- just realize where you are where you have been but you can't compare everything um, every club is different. Every club is in different stages of development as well. But what I did enjoy in, in Bayonne was that good good foreign group um, in Toulouse. For myself, I was quite a young guy uh, and I was training a lot with the senior team, but I never really got along with the senior foreign players, I'll say, because I was young, no family, no kids. And all these guys had families and kids and it was it was sort of it was tough to to break into them. So I think that's sort of also what pushed me to really try and force myself to get along with the French guys because they were young, no family, no kids, and well need to learn French as well. So go for it. And then I came across to Bayon. I could speak French. I, I was actually all right speaking French in Bayon. Very good. Yeah, the guys were just a lot more welcoming uh, as well, just in terms of the foreign group. And I just remember all the guys like Torsten, Poff. You yourself, yourself, Sean Robinson, all all these guys, and great group, eh? Yeah, we had Bandisa from South Africa joining yeah. us halfway through the season, but great group. And then, yeah, comparing that, and then even Bayonne to to Perpignan, it's also a different step and different stage of development. And I know Perpignan now they they've only for the last four or five years apparently they've been really pushing the the mayor to to build new infrastructure, upgrade everything, training center stick with the wave of all these top 14 teams that are really putting time and effort in, into the infrastructure. Um, and only now they've just got the, the acceptance letter to, to go through with it. So I'm not going to be here for the new installations, but I'm happy that the club has got to, got to that stage. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a one-star car park uh, type tent vibe. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's, what, that's where we're at at the moment. But yeah, the players have just got to push it aside and, and accept what they have. But the most important thing is on a Saturday in between the four white lines. So hang on a minute. We might come back to facilities, but you said that everyone had families in the Toulouse first team. And what then? You arrive in Bayonne and you're at clubbing with Johnny every night? 
Oh, Johnny. Johnny was not clubbing every <laughs> day. No, Johnny didn't club every night, but he did have a lot of beers after the final. I can't remember, mate. No, I just remember that after the final, it was Johnny, Torsten, and myself. We got left behind. And Poff. And Poff. We were four. We all got left behind because the bus, like, we were cleaning the change room afterwards. And we walked outside and the bus wasn't there. We were like, what the hell? We phoned the bus. They were like, come get us. They're like, oh no, we're 20 minutes down the road already. Like, make your own way. And then, yeah, I actually got a video still. I still got a video of that. And there was a policeman that saw us and he gave us a. Took shit. He took pity on us. That's what he did. <laughs> in that we stayed behind doing the good thing, won the final, amazing day. We stayed behind, cleaned the, cha- the change rooms out just to leave it in a nice nick for yeah. the ground staff, but also Poff. Poff Van Lil, our Namibian number eight, was also doing a, a drug test. So we're like, well, we took some beers and some water. We had a beer with him in the in the piss testing station because we were like, well, we'll wait for him and make sure he's all right. And then, we'll, and then we all, he did his piss. We go to get the bus and the bus is gone. It's 25 minutes down the road. And the only way we got back was there was one policeman from Bayonne left in the stadium because everyone else had gone back for the party, right? So everyone yeah. has driven, gotten there, following the bus off to join the party um, and a policeman was like, holy shit, what are you guys still doing here? Like in our blazers, <laughs> ready to go. And we jumped in his car and he, he took us back down the road. But that was incredible. Because you, post, you posted a, an Instagram photo. You posted a story and there was a newspaper article about it the next day as well <laughs> with your photo. And oh, it was so funny. It was, it, was, it was class. Absolutely. Like hilarious. But the thing is, we were missing out on the party. We wanted to be in the bus with everyone and enjoy it. And we we just wanted to get back, to get on the balcony in the middle of Bayonne and get started the party with everyone. Because it's not everyone you win Champion de France and you win Pro D2 and you get your side back into top 14. So a funny memory now, but we were cracking up on the bus, in the bus, in the, it was even like a police escort on the way back down the road to Bayonne because we just couldn't believe it happened. And we wanted to get there and start celebrating with everyone. I remember, I think it was Sean. You phoned Sean and you told Sean to... Turn the bus around. You were really, at the time, you were super angry. And <laughs> and Poff being Poff, just like, nah. yeah, man, that's okay. Like, don't worry. We're all together. Like proper, he's Namibian, but he speaks Afrikaans and basically South African, whatever. And just like, don't worry. We're all together. We'll have beers. And then that sort of got Johnny on, 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 on the boat. And then he was all right after that. Had a few beers and then we we're fine. And that was at the end of the season. He was angry, but then happy. <laughs> What about the start of the season and throughout the season? Because, Johnny, you were skipper the year before, weren't you? And you were still a kind of leader in that environment. So how was Johnny? Yeah, it was a weird, from what I remember, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was a weird season for Johnny because I do. he was captain the season before, came and when I arrived, he was no longer captain. But he started off the season as one of the starters and everything. And then I know he had a bit of a, a fallout with the club and whatever, won't go, won't go down that road. Didn't play for most of the season. And all of a sudden, Johnny's obviously got loads of experience with Scotland and everything, playing cast off the team, whatever. And then all of a sudden, the business end of the season comes in. Johnny Beattie starting lineup back into it and then captain of the lineup, basically captain of the team, even though he probably didn't have the title of it. Yeah, pushed us to, to victory towards the end of the season. Yeah, it was tough for Johnny, but he kept his... Kept the frown upside down, uh, kept a smile on his face and, and pushed through it. And I don't know, I'd say it's it's a sign of, of a champion as well. And it, we ended up being champions as well. So, And that's my my memories of Johnny. Kept, didn't, didn't complain, just got on with it. And 
sort of screamed at me when I was complaining and I was still playing, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that happening either, Tristan. That didn't happen, did it? So as I said, training, Johnny was trying to lead the standards, was he? He would like, definitely he's leading from the front, hundred percent. And I'll never take that away from him. But with everything for in terms of contacts, line out, skills, um, fitness as well, pushing the backs to to be the best that we could be. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I won't say anything bad about John. <laughs> Leading the way at fitness, even at that stage in your career, Johnny, were you not absolutely fucked? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> hanging together. Hey, and that's hey, it. In, in that season, I reckon I had two torn calves, a massive hamstring rupture. Like, I basically didn't play. No, just in terms of motivation, standing on the sideline. Come on, boys. Like, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I can encourage. I can clap from the touchline. But that's it. At that stage, mate, I was absolutely broken. But I think the only thing I maybe tried to get across was like if it didn't come internally, like if you don't help yourself in pro de deux, it doesn't work. Like it's such a grind and it's such a marathon and it's so difficult. And I don't think people understand the volume of games everyone has to get through, the amount of collisions, the amount of graft. And the away days are difficult in pro de deux. Like yeah. it's not something that people would maybe grasp if they hadn't played in that league. But um, like I look back with great memories now in what was a hard year, we finished sixth as well. It's not like we were flying. Yeah, but we fin- we finished six in the regular season, managed to get our way through the playoffs, won the final, and got the club back into top fourteen. So an amazing note to finish with. On the way, yeah, I don't think people realise as well that in front right now there's big problems with the referees and everything, and everyone's complaining about refs whether you win or lose because a lot of the refs have actually been like brought in by clubs. So all the professional referees are with clubs now, and which obviously dilutes the pool of quality of refs. And then so if we go down to Pro D2, yeah, the big games, you get the professional refs, they'll go down and ref the Pro D2 games and everything. But I'm not going to say they're amateur refs, but they refs, referees who are learning, going through the process. And, and so when you play away, I think the refs are definitely influenced by the home crowd. So winning away from home in Pro D2 is massive. So it's definitely a long, hard season of 30 games. Um, it's not the prettiest of rugby. It's a big arm wrestle type type of rugby, uh, lots of strategy behind it. And obviously sometimes have a bit of individual brilliance that will will win you the game. Um, but it's definitely not a sprint, it's a marathon. As Johnny said, like we finished sixth and we still managed to get through to the final or whatever. And so yeah, big it's tough. Pro D2 is tough. And that year you spent with Johnny wasn't your only season in Predator. You were at Bezier as well. So in terms of going out on loan from Toulouse, was it frustrating the lack of opportunities because I think at times they picked you know Cheslin Colby as fly half so yeah. were you kind of thinking when do I get my shot? I did, I played 15 games I think for Toulouse a lot were off the bench but it was definitely frustrating that I think at the time I felt like I didn't have a fair shot but now looking back as a slightly older and wiser rugby player I can honestly say I think the coach was right and not sort of choosing me because I probably wasn't ready. Looking back now at what I know now, um, at the time, obviously, I probably didn't like him and everything, but that's because you're young, you just want to play. Um, but sometimes the coach does know best. And as I said, looking back now, I definitely wasn't ready. And my my progression as a rugby player has taken a bit more time than, than other players, but everyone's on their own path. So sending me out on loan to Pro D2, was awesome because I got to play professional rugby. Yes, it's probably two, whatever. It's still, as we just discussed, it's super tough. You've got big, massive Fijian centers running down your channel. Um, not even the centers, but just forwards, wings, whatever, and all the Islander boys. 
Um, and then going to Bezier because when I came back from Bayonne, because of the World Cup, I played during the World Cup by a lot of games. I was quite happy with that. And then obviously the international players came back. Toulouse, we didn't do too well during the World Cup. So all the international players came back and just went bang straight into the game, started winning, whatever. And obviously you don't change a winning formula. Where you said now, Tim, was just about the Cheslin Colby getting selected at 10 because I remember Zach Holmes got a red card in a Champions Cup game. And uh, it was during the Six Nations as well. So Ramos and Intermac and DuPont, they, they weren't there. And the whole week I'd been training at 10, even at captain's practice was training at 10, but they hadn't announced the, the starting lineup because the previous week Cheslin got a dead leg against Breve away. And I think they were waiting on him and then he got the green light. Literally a Saturday morning before the game against racing, they said, all right, so Cheslin's going to start at 10. Tristan, you're on the bench. And I was quite confident. Like I, I really said to myself, like this is this is my chance. Like even though playing against a big racing team, Finn was playing as well. So I was excited about that to really test my medal and go up against one of the best tens in the world. Even though I was young, like I was excited to do it. And then it was sort of a bit of a kick in the balls, I would say. And then when Toulouse were winning right up until the end. I got put on with one minute to go, scrum five meters out for racing. I was defending the 10 channels. I was like, okay, well, I just need to make my tackle. That'll be fine. They went blind. They scored a try. Didn't even touch the ball. Racing won the game. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> we lost the game, but I was disappointed that Toulouse lost. But at the same time, I laughed about it. It's like, I couldn't have done anything. Like, even though I was on the field, I couldn't have done anything. Not my fault. Disappointed the team lost, obviously. And after the game, I just phoned my agent and I said, look, I think the, the writing's on the wall. If you can get me out of here, get me out of here. And then COVID hit straight after that. So the season was over. Throughout COVID, we're talking a lot with Toulouse, like, what do we do with myself? Because I was still on contract with them. Um, and I sort of just said, look, can you guys just send me out on loan? Because like, you guys aren't playing me. And that's fine. I understand whatever. Just let me go so I can play and learn somewhere else. Went to Bezier and then throughout the Autumn Nations Cup, Six Nations, they called me back. I played with Toulouse, went back to Bezier. So I was back and forth and it definitely wasn't my best season, just changing between cities and teams. And and eventually I got back to Bezier and Bezier were on a winning streak as well. So the coach just said to me, look, we're not playing you because we're on a winning streak. We're going to change the winning formula. And I was like, that's fine. I completely understand. Obviously, it's tough for the coaches because... I've just come back and I'll, they're not going to put me in. And then whoever's the 10 or 15 at the time would just be like pulling fingers at the coach, like what's happening here. So I completely understood and actually did, ended up, didn't even finishing the season with Bezier. I was there, but I didn't play. So it was a definitely a tough season. And then that's the season where I'd signed for Bayonne to go back to Bayonne because they were in top 14. Sadly, they went down. And then that's where Patrick gave me a call and said, look, you don't have a choice. You're coming here or whatever. <laughs> I was actually still in South Africa when that happened. I watched the game where they drew six all, went to a kickoff, and obviously I wanted Bayon to win. I'd already been there in Bayon. All I wanted for them was to stay in top 14, and they lost. And I remember my dad just, he was disappointed to me. He's like, oh, don't worry, at least you're going back to a city. I didn't even talk to him. I just went straight to my room at home, and I was just like, what the hell is And like, oh, doing all this effort, like I really wanted to play top 14. And then within 10 minutes, of just me just chilling in my room, got a phone call from my agent, said, look, 
I know your flight is back to France, but you're landing in Barcelona. I was like, how do you know that? So your dad told me, like, okay, catch a train from Barcelona, go to Perpignan, do a medical check, and they're going to give you the same contracts that you had at Bayonne. Awesome. Um, so I didn't even, they, they just said, we want you. What is your contract at Bayonne? We'll do the same. And it's like, if it's the same contract, then cool, I'll take it. Went there, signed the same day as I got them back to Europe, and the rest is history. Are you a believer in fate? Because this sounds kind of, <laughs> I know like everything it, happens for a reason. I don't know. I, I try not to be, but there's a lot of, there's too many signs like saying like it was meant to be this, this happened and this happened. And yeah. So I think there is a bit of belief. I try not to look down that, that direction because I think you make your own luck as well. Yeah. But sometimes it's just too powerful to, to ignore it. It just shows as well, Tristan, everyone has different routes, right? But I think the one thing that's been invaluable for you has just been the game time. And like people talk about pro de deux and they bag it and, but getting to work with you and you leading a team and playing 10 and 15 at Bayonne and getting a volume of game time and confidence as well. Like I saw yeah. a shift in your character that was massive, um, but also having that carrot. So arriving in France for the first time and seeing Toulouse. So basically landing at the mothership of French rugby, right? And thinking this is what it's like. This is what top 14 rugby is like, but then having to work really hard to go to Bayonne pick up game time, go to Bézier, play around Pro des Deux, have a contract with Bayonne, fall through again, get to Perpignan, and then rock it this season. But you finding your own way back to top 14 just by grafting and working hard. Like Everybody has different routes, but it's worked yeah. out for you, and it's awesome. It's been awesome to watch you play this year with Perpignan as well, where it hasn't always gone right. Like There's been loads of different things and loads of different teams that don't always go right. But whenever you have been there, you've left, you've worked your nuts off, you've given everything. And now you've landed a big deal to Paris as well. So like the journey has been insane. When you put it that way, it's 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 sort of, uh, you look at it and you say, it's not like the destination, but it's the journey. I think 10, 15 years down the line, when I look back, when I will look back at my rugby career, I'll be like, wow, it was everywhere, but it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. And loads of, uh, meeting loads of people, making new friends. And also by doing that, you're visiting different cities and, I think, as you said, as a young guy arriving to lose, and if I'm honest, I didn't know what to lose was, like what type of club it was. And as a young South African, you're not really involved in watching European rugby and everything. For you, it's just want to play for Stormers, Bulls, Sharks, South Africa. And I arrived there, and maybe I was a bit, I was ahead of myself. I didn't know what to expect and everything. And as you said, just then I realized I was there, like, oh crap, like this is, this is I've got to work for it. And, in a way, like that's why I'm still here, still working for it, still wanting to learn. But would I change anything? Definitely not. Looking back now, it, it's it's been super amazing, and I've loved every experience of it. And it's definitely sad to leave Perpignan because, as you said, I got a chance in Bayonne, learned a lot, even though it's probably two, and work your way up to top fourteen. And Perpignan gave me a chance, and I've tried to take it with both hands and really run with it. And I wouldn't change anything. And as, as we said, maybe there's a bit of faith in there, but it's also you've got to make your own luck and, and just go for it. So, so yeah. And Johnny mentioned the big deal with wrestling. Hopefully it is massive, but you've been a man in demand. You signed the deal, I think, quite early on in this season, but there was lots of talk of Toulon, Stade Francais, Cast. You, you had offers, which is amazing considering it was only a couple of years ago when that deal with Bayon fell through and you were kind of getting the call from Patrick. How did the move to wrestling come about? Before we played Toulon in the beginning of the season, 
Um, I got a phone call from my agent saying, look, Perpignan want to like sign you on like as soon as we can, whatever. And, and my and I said, what do you think? And he just said, look, I think it's too early. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And then we played Toulon and it was a horrible day, horrible, lots of wind, rainy, puddles of water on the pitch. We ended up winning and I was quite happy. I got a man of the match performance as well, kicking and stop it. Stop it, Tristan. <laughs> uh, have to say it, have to say it, have to say it. Um, and then I think things from there sort of kicked off. And then the week after, we played Cast in Perpignan and again had a pretty good game. And then things went really quickly from there. Got phone calls from uh, Stade Francais, got in contact with Cast, Leon as well. Later on, actually got in contact with Bayonne again. And I thought that would never happen. I thought Bayonne is finished because. They went down to grade two, I left, whatever. And that was quite a, a shock. I just waited and waited and waited. And obviously the teams, they don't like to, to wait on things like that. But I couldn't really make up my mind. And and at the same time, I was with Emma, obviously, who's we're no longer together. And she was working in Paris at the time and still is actually. And she was a big influence on that decision because we've been together. We had been together for so long. And we'd never been in the same city. So Johnny was, Johnny knows that Emma, when I was in Bayonne, Emma was in Toulouse, and it was so hard to see each other, whatever. And then Stade Francais came up and really looked into it and, and was really considering it. And then it came down to, to the negotiations. And I was only negotiating with, at the time now, because uh, Leon had gone, Cast had gone, um, moved on to other players. And I was only negotiating with Stade Francais and Perpignan. Perpignan really, I can't take anything away from them. The smallest budget in top 14, they really gave it a good crack, just in terms of like a contract offer, whatever. Stade Francais being a bigger, bigger team, obviously a bit better contract, but they were really being tough on it. And there was some stuff in the contract that I wasn't agreeing with. And then literally within five days, racing came in, said, look, we're really interested in you. We're going to be honest with you. We had a fallout with... Uh, Matthew Jalibert, he was our number one, but you're our number two. Um, Finn is, at the time, was not negotiating with Bath. So he said that Finn's still going to be here, whatever, but at least you know sort of what devil you're going up against. And I was like, cool, like, I wanted to play against him, now I potentially could be playing with him. And they sort of said, like, what do you want? And I was a bit shy, like, in, order, in terms of what to say and ask for. So I sort of, like, said... Zeros. Yeah, just give me lots of zeros. And then I just said said what I wanted. And I spoke to my agents about it. And he was like, yeah, I think that's 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 pretty much it. And then they just said, yeah, cool. We're happy with that. Because I wanted that, they agreed with it. So within literally five days, was on holiday in New York. They sent me the contract. So like a proper businessman, I signed my contract in New York. That was quite cool. Um, but yeah, and then off to racing next year. And did you know Stuart Lancaster was coming in when you signed? He was the first person to actually talk to me about it. I was sitting, literally sitting on the couch at home, going through all these negotiations with clubs and everything. I got a plus four four number phoning me, and I thought I've got a few friends in the UK and everything. I thought, oh, maybe it's one of my mates phoning me. Picked up the phone, was like, hey, it's Tristan. Like, who's talking? Said, hey, Tristan, whatever. It's Stuart Lancaster. Like, uh, just want to let you know. I don't know if you heard about it, but I'm coming in coaching racing next year, whatever. And I know you've probably heard that we're looking at Matthew Chani Bear, that's fallen through, whatever. And he said, I've seen a lot of your games in the top 14, really interesting profile. Um, we spoke a lot about a, 
hour conversation on the phone, to be honest. And he just said, there's definitely stuff you can work on, stuff you, I think that you're doing pretty well, so keep that up sort of thing. And, and as a player, you're always looking to progress. And he really came in with a plan and he knew, he knows what he wants to do. So that really got me excited about going over to racing. Obviously, the success he's had with Leinster and everything, it's just insane. So it's exciting times. And obviously, if you look at the recruitment for racing next season as well, with the new coaching staff, you really, you can get excited quite easily for the season. Obviously, you've got to put in the hard work. I don't think it's going to be easy. He's not going to come in and just make things easy. He's going to change a lot, definitely. But it's a new change for me. It will be a new change for him. And it's a, yeah, a new journey together and hopefully it starts off well. You mentioned that hour-long conversation you had with him at the start and the success he's had at Leinster, which has been incredible. He's quite a serious and direct guy, isn't he? So during the course of this season, whilst you've been at Perpignan, have you had further chats with him or messages about next season or has it very much been shelved until the summer? No, it, literally he told me, look, this is the first and last time I'll talk to you. On the phone, he told me that. Um, but I'll see you next season. Obviously, if you you come to racing, but this is what I want to do. Um, and I actually asked him, I was like, but what if you come up against racing in the Champions Cup? And they were. He's like, don't worry. If I'm with Leinster, I want to beat racing. I don't. He pretty much just said, I don't care if it's my future team, whatever. My job is to win. And so I was like, okay, quite a serious guy. But then towards the end of the conversation, he lightened up a bit. And we had a few laughs. And so we'll see. We'll see how the relationship goes. Um, but definitely looking forward to it. And yeah, I think it'll be. I've had a few French coaches now along the way and it'll be good to get in touch with an English coach and see how they work through everything and, and we'll see how it goes. But I think it'll be incredible for the detail, the level of play for you as well and your evolution to go to another level. I think it'll be phenomenal for your game. Another guy you'll be working with next year, Sia Khaleesi, uh, obviously South African legend. Do you know him already at all, a little bit? How much are you looking forward to playing with that guy next season? Definitely, he's definitely a South African legend. Everything he's accomplished, it's just, it's insane. Um, and obviously him coming over to racing is a big, massive signing. And and when I found out about it, I was like, no, surely not. Like maybe maybe he'd go to Japan after the World Cup sort of thing. He's like, no, no, he's like, he's coming to racing. Geez, that's, that's insane, which is super cool because I've actually never met him. I've never met him, never spoken to him. I actually got his book on the shelf, so... Um, I'm definitely not going to tell him that I'm a fanboy. I'm <laughs> it's too late. It's yeah. too late, mate. <laughs> but no, definitely looking forward to it. I know there's already Warwick Gallant, um, Trevor Nyukane, and then there's actually going to be my best friend, James Hall, the scrum off. Yes. Yeah. Mate, what about that story as well? You guys coming over separately to play in France, him working his way through Oyonnax, Stade Francais, and now a schoolmate, a 9 and 10 meeting up. And playing together, it's incredible. It's it's insane. And funny story is that when we first came over to France, his dad every single year has always sent me the same message. I don't. I think he just does a copy paste. But he <laughs> said, "I don't know when, but I believe you and James will play together." Wow. And and that's it. Every year he sends me the same message. And yeah, I think he just manifested that thought and just the way our rugby careers have gone. We're going to be playing together, hopefully a lot. Um, but even if He's starting or I'm on the bench or vice versa or whatever. Just to be together again is going to be insane because obviously we've been a been apart a few years now. But obviously I see him when we play and stuff and we chat still. And but it'll just be super cool to play with him again because right the way through primary and high school, we played together. So I think for him it'll be cool. For myself, it'll be cool as well. 
So definitely looking forward to that. And then just, yeah, I think going back to Sears, you've got the South African captain, uh, World Cup winner. He's bringing obviously a lot of new sets of eyes, I'd say, from South Africa to racing, to French rugby. And in terms of rugby play, you always you have to be ambitious to, to keep progressing in your career. And, and I think even though my journey has taken a bit longer, I, I haven't thrown out the question of why not try play for South Africa. So I definitely, if I got a phone call, I'd be the first one on the plane to, to get there. I'd be like a little kid. It's, it's obviously everyone's dream. But obviously having Sia there, you have to put in the performances, obviously. Otherwise, you're not going to get to that level. But coming back to Stuart and progress, and I think with that coming in and with Sia coming in, there's a whole lot of, a whole culmination of, of little aspects of my rugby career that could potentially progress. I won't try and get ahead of myself, but why not? Why not? Why not push further and, and see how far you can go? You mentioned that international aspect. Have you ever had any contact from the SRU or any of the coaches in South Africa since you've been in France or not? Nope, never. Funny story. Last year in the SA Rugby magazine, they put out, I think, like a four or five page list of all the South African foreign players in Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Spain, Russia, like wherever, uh, United States. And the, every country had all the players' names. Guys in France were playing like Federal 2 or Federal 1, not the highest levels of rugby, but they were there. So I looked for my name. And it wasn't there. So I was like, geez, like these guys don't know I'm here. Like, damn it. So, so I won't lie. I was a bit disappointed with that, but I can't control that. So I just got to be good with the club and then we'll let results and, and your performance talk about it. So, but it, it did, it did give me a bit of a, a down weekend, but I pushed through it now. And then you can let Lani pick up the phone and call Rassi next year. Then you'll know, right? Then he'll be on the radar. There's direct contact. Interestingly as well, you're talking about South Africa and you're very proud of your heritage. Your family's all still there. You've been in France for a long time. Would you ever have any interest in being part of a French setup? If they if they gave me a phone call, I, I would. I definitely won't say no. I'd love to get that phone call. I'm definitely, I'm not going to hesitate about this. I've been in France for now. It's my seventh season. Geez, time's gone fast. What are you thinking about? It goes so fast. Mate, you still look 20, to be fair. So yeah. like you're, you've done really well. I look like I've been here 45 years. I'm only 37. You're still looking good, Tristan. I wouldn't worry. At least I know when I'm going to be 50 years old, I'll have the face of someone who looks 40. So that'll be all right. There you go. <laughs> it's funny because we had Paolo Adogwa on last week. Um, he had been involved in England Cups. In fact, he was telling us he spent the whole Six Nations in a hotel and carrying tackle bags, which doesn't sound great. Don't do that. But his answer to us, because he had Italian heritage as well, and this week has been selected in the Italy squad yeah. ahead of the World Cup, the training squad, which is great news. Congratulations, Paolo. But the answer was interesting. I want to be wanted. So if France call you and they want you, if South Africa call you and they want you, you want to know that you're going to play and yeah. contribute and presumably having been in France for seven years you do feel a bit French you clearly feel South African as well but you feel both oh yeah oh, if, if you were in Perpignan right now all the guys would be agreeing with you especially the Argentinian guys they give me crap all the time they say no man you're not even South African you're French now it's like, I, <laughs> and I try to argue it they're like no just shut up you're French it's like oh whatever uh, but no, I definitely agree with you. It's you. You want to have that feeling of being wanted, and yeah, for for Paolo, it's that if 
he was with the England team, whatever, and he was holding a tackle bag. It's cool being called up into setup, but to hold a tackle bag, I've been there, done that, and it's it's horrible. It's it's definitely not nice as a player. But and then he's got been called up to the Italy squad, and hopefully he goes on and plays for Italy, not just holding tackle bags. Um, and I'd say the same is for me. I don't want to get a phone call, get super excited, and then I get there and it's like, okay, well, hold this bag, do this, do this, and then like you're not playing or anything. It's definitely an experience, but as a professional sportsman, you you want to play. You don't want to be sitting on the sideline. And yeah, for me, that that's that's big. But I definitely won't be saying no to any phone calls if they do come. And going back to Sia, hopefully he can have a, a word in someone's ear for you or Stuart Lancaster can. Yeah. Surprise, there's enough room in the budget for them to sign him after your massive deal with Racing. But that's by the by. He's with Rock Nation. So you mentioned you signed your deal when you were in New York. You can you can compare notes. You can say, where were you when you signed your yeah, contract? Yeah, actually, that would be quite cool. I'll ask him, where did you sign your contract? No, in Cape Town. That's nothing. <laughs> Boring. That's nothing. Boring. Boring. I was in New York. And obviously the con- the conversation with Stuart Lancaster was only an hour. You maybe didn't get to this, maybe you did, but Johnny mentioned you've played a lot of fullback as well as fly half. Do you know what their plans are for you? Do you know, do you, do you have a preference first of all? And do you know where they see you? If I have a preference, yes, it's definitely fly half. Um, I've grown up playing fly half at Bayonne. I played a lot of fly half. Last season, I played fly half throughout the season. Uh, this season, we've got Jake McIntyre, who's come through and who's been absolutely insane. And again, this weekend against Toulouse, had an absolute crack of a game. And quite early on the season, spoke to our coaches, actually, and they just said, look, we know both of you are, are tens, but we want both of you on the field. And they just said, to, it doesn't matter what number is on your back, whether it's a 10 or 15, we want you to play like a 10. So it's quite fluid in the system of our system of playing where fit yourself in and if you're there well you're there and if Jake's there Jake's there and you can shift yourself in at 12 or 13 or wherever fill the gap and the team's the most important thing it's not the individual but that's that's in every team and I've always stuck by that I just want to be on the field and playing and depends I don't care on the number on the back and and with Jake we've got a really great relationship and it's worked out well for us hopefully up until the end of the season we'll keep working well for us keep purping on up but then coming back to Stuart um, I did ask him about that. Um, he says that he has seen me play 10, uh, has seen me play 15 as well, but he says it's more as a 10 position because you've got guys like young Max Spring um, already with racing. Phenomenal. Played, yeah, played for the French international team. Uh, Warwick Khalans, who's played for South Africa as well, who's also phenomenal. Uh, so both of them are international fullbacks. I'm not an international rugby player. Yet. <laughs> just throwing it out there but yeah um no definitely if, if i if i had the choice to play it'd be 10 but if the team needed me to play fullback then i'd, I'd definitely put up my hand and play fullback and do you know who else is going to be on the roster in the 10 slot next year like i know they said they'd mentioned that they were targeting matthew jalibert finn's leaving is another 10 coming in to fit in with you like there'll obviously be antoine Gibert will be there as well he can play nine and ten but will there be three of you or will it be you and Antoine Gibert? So I spoke to the current coach at the moment a few weeks ago, actually, Lauren Travers. Um, and he told me that they are looking, but they haven't found anyone. And at the moment, it's just Antoine Gibert and myself. And if that if that is it, well, then it's us too. And then they'll get the young Esquire number 10, who apparently is quite good as well. And he'll sort of come through the system. So we'll be three number 10s. 
But he says, he said to me, like, don't get shocked if we do manage to find another number 10. But um, it doesn't bother me that because when I signed for racing, as I said earlier, Finn was already there and he wasn't in negotiations yet with Bath. So I knew that Finn was going to be there and I was ready to take up that challenge. Um, so if another 10 does come in, it was, it'll be the same situation. If, he's, if there isn't another number 10, that's to our benefits, to Antoine and myself, for us to take the chance. But yeah, I'm not going to cry about it. Kristen, thanks so much for coming on. You have come an awful long way since those days of being shouted at by Johnny a few years ago. <laughs> good luck with Perpignan in a couple of weeks' time. Massive good luck for the move to Paris and hopefully some international rugby soon too. I hope so as well, but we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed and we'll see where, where the journey takes us. Top man. Thanks a lot, Tristan. All right, no worries. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Tristan. Cheers, Tristan. Cheers, Tristan. You knew Tristan already, Johnny, but that's a journey. It is. And it's also a new journey that not many people have taken and that he's the first sort of real raft of foreign Gif players, if that makes sense. But the path, and again, the experience and the exposure he's had from playing in difficult leagues against nuggety opposition um, has been great. And now he's 27, he's flourishing, you know, starting for Perpignan at 10, 15, keeping them in the top 14. Um, Also his attitude just generally, like, upbeat lovely guy always has been but to see him play after having signed mid-season for Racing 92 and what I hope is a big bump in his contract um, a lot of other people you know they shift into third gear and you know they're all sorted so they don't really have to dig deep but you can see how much it's meant to him to pay back the faith that Arletaz who brought him to Perpignan has put in him um, and how much it's meant to him to play for Perpignan as well so it's been great to have done a little bit of the road with him. He was great fun as a teammate in Bayonne. Really, really good boy. And just really chuffed for him. How it's gone, his development, the little leader he's turning out to be as a 10 or a 15. Um, and I'm sure he'll absolutely kill it in racing as well. Fast track, synthetic pitch. He is absolutely rapid. Um, and no, great to have him on. And I mentioned the word fate just because of the path he's taken and the twists and turns and the way things have unfolded. Clearly, he's worked his absolute bollocks off to get to where he's got to. Yeah. And the, the contract he's got him racing but even then he's saying they might not sign another 10 for next season that'd be incredible for him it, but i like i can't see it hmm. in the it's racing 92 right and they've had finn russell um finn's been exceptional i can't see them not having a marquee player they had their eyes on matthew jalibert for a long time it didn't go that way but i, I just i have a feeling like antoine gibert still a little bit of an unknown quantity Tristan, I think, is absolutely fantastic, but I think they'll want somebody in a third slot with them that will be the first choice and those two guys fit in and battle out with them. Um, but that's it. I think either way, it'll be a phenomenal challenge. We're learning with somebody that I think will be world-class come in as well, but that's it. It's the same battle. The, the, the game-time battle they had at Toulouse, Bayonne, Perpignan, Bézier. Top 14 is not easy. Like No matter when you think you've nailed it, you haven't nailed it. It's a constant grind because the quality that there is within all these teams, is absolutely exceptional. Brilliant chat with Tristan, but we should probably have a bit of a word about the European final, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, we should. <laughs> Champions Cup final, obviously a repeat of last year's final. Yeah. How do you see it going? I just think, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I think whoever controls the ball, so whoever is in possession, will win the game. I think if Leinster control the ball, keep it in hand, and they play at the speed and the efficiency 
that we've seen them play with, it'll be too quick and they'll run away with it. I think if Lara shall keep hold of the ball and control possession in decent areas of the field, they'll be too physical. They will just run over the top of Leinster. So like two different styles, two very well coached sides. There's a little bit of an edge as well, it being in Dublin and Leinster selling a packet of tickets. Um, you, you can't get away from that fact as well. But genuinely having watched the two sides, having watched them being at the final last year, La Rochelle are phenomenal. And calling it a 50-50. Like you have to hope for the French side that it will be a repeat and we'll see those scenes again in the port of La Rochelle. But a huge game of rugby and really, really hard to call. But for me, simply whoever dominates possession um, will run out winning that game. And Leinster have been beaten physically by La Rochelle before. Obviously, we know the size of the humans they have in their, in their side, just looking at them. Leinster haven't managed yet to find a way to get that quick ball against La Rochelle. What do they have to do differently to achieve that? I think there's a little bit of naivety in thinking that you can, like I said, keep ball in hand, but there's different ways of beating that gain line. So the chip kicks, the cross field kicks, beating a blitz defence, beating a, a La Rochelle defensive line that comes up very high and presses out to in. I don't think anybody's exposed them so far. Nobody's exposed their blitz defence, but Will Stewart Lancaster and their coaching team have analysed them and thought, right, cross field kicks, high balls, uh, chip kicks, slowing down that blitz defence. And then when we do have a half break or we get go forward ball, you keep it and you go forward and you keep pushing them on the back foot. So I think they'll have to be very varied in the way they attack. And then when they have those key occasions, they'll have to convert absolutely everything. Um, but that's, I, I don't see any team that really has done that to La Rochelle. Certainly this competition against English opposition, La Rochelle dominated those physical encounters. Um, and Leinster are going to have to be very smart and very cute if they're going to find a different way to beat La Rochelle, which they didn't manage to do last in last year's final. And La Rochelle rested a ton of players last week. Leinster obviously had a massive URC semi-final against rivals Munster, lost that game. They rested quite a few, even though it was a semi-final, but still had a relatively strong side out, mix and match, I guess. Is that game going to have any impact on this final, either mentally or physically or not? I don't think so. I think once you get to final time, it's final time. Um, I, I found it quite strange that they rested. It just shows the emphasis that they have and the desire they have in this competition versus the URC and that they rested people against Munster, you know, your local domestic rivals. The fact that you're willing to not throw that game, but rest key figures because you know you've got La Rochelle coming up. But in the same way, La Rochelle rested a few players down in Montpellier. Um, a few big dogs came off the bench last 20, 30 minutes. You look at Antonio and people coming off the bench to get some game time and keep in form. But I think this is a scratch game. It's a final. Both teams will be well rested. Both teams will have had a week of prep. They'll be fresh. And so no, I, I don't think the fact that they rested some people have any psychological advantage or disadvantage for Leinster. I think both sides are looking at this as final rugby um, and a massive, massive game. And you're in town a day earlier than that as well for the Challenge Cup final. Toulon taking on your old side, Glasgow. Yep. How do you see that one going? I can't wait. In the two sides that I'm delighted to see get there. Glasgow in their first European final. They won the Pro 14, I think in 2014, 2015. But they're playing really good rugby under Franco Smith. Um, they really, really come on. And again, with ball in hand, I think they've only lost one game at home this season. Um, and that'll be a really big challenge for Toulon that have sort of misfired. They rested a pile of players as well last weekend in preparation for this game. But I just don't know. And, and I'm not sure 
Glasgow will be able to contain the sheer physicality. Like once Toulon, we saw against Treviso, for instance, when Toulon turned on that physicality, it's like La Rochelle. Once they blitz that gain line, they're really, really hard to contain. But again, if Glasgow look hold, take control of the game and control possession and the ball in playtime is high, it could become very difficult for Toulon. So look, it's one that, again, I, I don't really know how to call Obviously, a massive shift for me. I want to see Glasgow Warriors win. As much as it's a French rugby podcast, this is my old side. This is their first European final, and I'll be pitch side. So really looking forward to the atmosphere, looking forward to seeing the travelling support from both sides in what should be a really, really entertaining final. And we mentioned the Italy squad earlier on in relation to the fact that Paolo Dogri, who we had on last week, is in. Sergio Parise's name was missing from that list. He yeah. might yet get a call-up. You never know. Injuries or maybe... There's a bigger picture, I don't know, but his name wasn't in there. Interesting then that this could be his swan song. Obviously, that adds an extra element. But also, you mentioned Franco Smith. You know, they used to play together about 20 years ago when Sergio was starting out in Italy. Sergio and Franco Smith used to play together. Crazy. It's bonkers. That's right, Franco, the springbok as well. Um, firstly, congratulations to Paolo after last week's mm-hmm. podcast getting called up. He managed to keep that under his hat slightly, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. He gave it away a little bit. Um, but Sergio as well, like they've only named seven back rowers in the World Cup squad. That's the thing. So it's not the deepest pool. Normally there's eight or nine extended in that extended squad. So the door isn't completely closed. Um, and if there's one man that can do it and would be deserving of that extended swan song at a World Cup in a country that he's called home for 20 plus years, it'd be Sergio Parisi. So disappointment for him short term, but never say never. Um, you could quite easily see him as he was against Treviso, man of the match. You could see him easily being man of the match against Glasgow this weekend and lifting lifting another European trophy. So um, we shall see. Absolutely. Can't wait for those European finals. Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Tristan for joining us too. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass as well as on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir. And maybe see you in Dublin, Johnny. Are we? Are we in Dublin together? <laughs> Who knows? Yes. See you there. For a Cheers, coffee mate. or a beer. <laughs> a beer. It'll be a beer. Bye.